the Caps On Podcast, coming to you from the Capitol, with your hosts, Nick Tobias, Tyler Bluenstick, and Michael Britton. Welcome back to the Caps On Podcast. I am here solo today, Tyler Blumenstick, joined by a very, very special guest. Uh, he is one of the most promising baseball minds that we have seen in recent years. He is the founder of Diamond Digest, a baseball information site driven on outside-the-box journalytics. He is a co-host of Framing the Conversation, a baseball podcast, and co-author of Hidden Ball Trick, the baseball stats you never thought to look for from 1876 to 1919. Uh, you can grab that book on Amazon, and you might know him as at MLB Random Stats on Twitter, where he has 55,000 followers. Uh, please welcome Jeremy Frank. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Hope you're doing all right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want to start off with this. On your site, you define the approach to Diamond Digest as outside-the-box journalytics. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by that? Because I think that's pretty interesting. Um, just like a different way to put it and kind of a different way to look at sports yeah I mean I definitely did not come up with the word journalytics I don't know I don't know who did that but uh, it, it is definitely I think it's a clever way of putting what Diamond Digest does it's kind of like I'm not too involved in this anymore I, I founded it I technically still have like I don't know if I'm what I'm considered there anymore because I don't put in too much time in it but the people over there are great and Diamond Digest um, basically it's kind of just like the intersection of like journalism for for baseball and also looking at it from like a numerical perspective so like an analytics that's how they get the the name the word journalytics like just journalism and analytics so i think in all of the articles there or at least most of them are are very like numbers based and i know uh you're you're pretty interested in um like the gambling aspect of, of sports so i think that's kind of similar to what you would do it's not gambling like focus but at the same time it is very like numbers heavy in the way it looks at it. So pretty much even like the game evaluations are, are very numbers based uh, in, at the site. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what I wanted to touch on a little bit and why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Um, we're using numbers and analytics for like literally everything, like you said, in sports nowadays, um, technology allows us to dive deeper and deeper. Um, we have saber, saber metrics um, and some weird notion now in baseball that managers are just a puppet. I don't know what you think about that, but I'm pretty I have a pretty strong opinion on that just because I feel like managers are still the backbone of a team. Like those in-game decisions, just playing baseball my whole life, like you know how important that is. Um, but even in the NFL, like players are having their lives change just strictly based on combine numbers um, for people that don't get much exposure on tape. Um, in the NBA, players are lauded for triple doubles and compared at the highest standard using these stats and analytics. So I guess my question to you is how microscopic do you think that this can really go? Like, how, how deep do you think we can go into the numbers before it's just, like, tired out, can't go any further? Well, I think um, I think it's important for, for – I think there's two sides. A lot of people think that there are two sides to, like, the numbers debate. There's, like, the, the analytics nerds and, like, there's the, there's the old-school eye test people. And I, I think that it's important – and, like, I think a lot of people would say, like, it's, it's a numbers versus a scouting thing. And I think that I, – I definitely disagree with that. I think that – it's, I think that this is the goal of using analytics. It's not to make it so that all of the decisions are just based off the numbers. The numbers are, are there to help guide decisions. They're used as a tool. They're not, they shouldn't be used as like the end-all, be-all um, decision. I think personally for me, in terms of how important managers are, I think that like I've played baseball. Probably, I'm, not, I'm not that great of a baseball player. Like I played growing up, but... I think that managers in terms at the major league level, I think they're more important in terms of like keeping the morale, keeping the players, like motivating them and, and just stuff like that. Like on a personal level, I think they're getting less and less important on a decision-making level. And I think that's probably for the better. I think that while I think, I think the, the role of the manager has been shifting and I think rightfully so, because I think that um, with numbers, unless the manager is like using the numbers to make their decisions, which some of them do, I think it's a lot more effective to let managers focus on like the player side of the game and let um, like a, a department, like a num an analytics department, or, like the front office um, balance, like weigh decisions on how much they're going to impact the game. I don't think that, I think that allowing the managers to focus on what's going on in the clubhouse and the players would be much more beneficial than having them trying to balance out making the decision. I think that there is something to gut feeling. I think that managers are, are good at that. But at the same time, I think it's important for uh, analytics to be 
more heavily weighed in that aspect. But at the same time, I don't want to diminish the importance of managers. I think managers have a very important uh, job in baseball. I just don't think it should be as much making decisions. Yeah, no, totally agreed. Um, that That's kind of where I want to like segue into a little bit and connect this into sports betting, kind of what we do. Um, at, at least in my um, past experiences with bets and ha- how I analyze a game, like whether it's a bettable game, whether it's a high percentage chance to win, it's kind of that fine line, like you mentioned, where it, it needs to serve as a guide and you kind of mix in your gut feeling a little bit there, but you still trust the numbers because you know what you have. And, and we'll, I want to touch on it a little la- later. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but just like statistical modeling and just mining data and basically breaking stuff down and finding different ways to look at it. Um, but for now, I want to pivot back. Um, so when did you first realize you were interested in like data science, statistics, basically everything you do now on a daily basis revolving sports? So I, I've always, my entire life, I've been like a pretty big math kid. Like I've always like, even like in like second grade, I was probably like one of the best kids in my class at math. And I always, like that was always like the only subject in school I was really good at. But I, I've always liked baseball um, as well. It's always been my favorite sport. Like growing up, I played Little League. I watched, I'm a big Cubs fan. I've watched the Cubs my entire life pretty much. But I think that I first realized like where they intersect, I think was when, I was like 10 years old and I watched the movie Moneyball. I'm sure you've, you've seen it. Yeah. I think most people have seen it. But um, it really showed me that like numbers have an actual place in in sports. It's not just like looking at the back of baseball cards to see what a player's batting average was. But I think it, um, I think it really has, it really showed, I know that it takes place back in the early two thousands when only like the small market teams, especially the A's in that movie were really using numbers to guide their decisions. But that really showed me that there is a place for for people who like who who look at numbers to to actually make decisions in, in sports, which hadn't really occurred to me then. So I think since then, I've been much more um, focused on how the two intersect. I think like I like when I was like in little league, I mean my dad was my coach, so I'd always like we'd always look at like the statistics for the players on our teams. Like it was like a 12 year old baseball leagues but i try and make like the lineup as efficient as possible to like make yeah, sure we're yeah. getting as many runs as we can with the team that we have stuff like that mm-hmm. and then yeah i mean as as i've gotten older i've gotten like i've realized how like much this applies and even and it's gotten it's it's grown in its relevance in the sport as i've, I've gotten older too so it's been really cool to see the like the the industry evolve as I, i've gotten older so Going off of that, like with, with the industry and, and kind of how analytics are perceived now with social media, the way it is, the fact that it's basically the world's biggest group chat, you can go on Twitter and, and just absolutely spew out whatever you want. But in terms of analytics and the way it's perceived, I feel like more often than not, I look at Twitter and it's it's just people bashing analytics, basically saying how, like, there's two sides to every coin, but the people that speak out are the people usually on the side against analytics. Everybody else kind of just sits there, but I don't really know how to word this, but for that stigma, I guess, what, I mean, what, what can change going forward? Like, like how, what more can happen? How can analytics be promoted to the point where it's kind of widely um, accepted and, and really a part of the game and, I'm guessing that's kind of your goal and, and your mission and what you do and, and how you present yourself on Twitter and, and the work that you do. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about analytics and sports is that it really doesn't matter what people think about it because they're going to use it anyways. Like, even if yeah, I mean, numbers are analytics, as long as there are enough people that are going to work in front offices to do analytics, um, it doesn't matter what people think about it. But I do think it is important to to um, make people more more open to analytics. I think analytics is, I mean, I, I use the word all the time. I've used it a lot on this podcast. I think it's really a buzzword for, I mean, like I said earlier, it's, I think analytics is more of a tool than it. I think analytics kind of scares people off. I think math is scary to a lot of people and rightly so. I think a lot of people think sports should be more of a, like an eye test kind of thing. Like who you can, oh, like they think that people who have been in their entire lives know the game really well, which they, they certainly do. But at the same time, um, I like, I guess, what I want to say is that there's no industry 
that does not use analytics. There's no industry that that goes off of based on what they feel. Every industry, pretty much every industry has people in there that evaluate data to make decisions for a company. If you're like a an air like an airplane company or like an airline company, you're using analytics. If you like sell cookies, if you're a cookie shop, you're using analytics. And those like obviously neither of those things are really math related, but they still use analytics to make decisions because that's that's how you make money. And in baseball is the same way. Obviously, some owners feel that making money is not the end all be all, or that it is the end all be all decision, while others are more geared towards wins. But it's really the same goal. I mean, teams that win more generally make more money. And if you're not using analytics and numbers and like data and feedback to to make decisions, it, it's possible you're not getting the whole story, which is going to to hurt your your final or your whatever it's called your bottom line in, in the long run. So I guess I mean most of the people that bash analytics. A lot of them use analytics for their job. It's just their job isn't isn't baseball. Baseball is no different. Baseball is a, is a business, and um, to think that those people, people, to think that people running businesses aren't going to use all of the data they have available to them to like do their job, I think it's kind of misguided. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for for those people, I mean, there's baseball is also in this like recent debate about how like times are changing and kind of like the audience surrounding the sport and how it's, it's kind of a little bit of an older crowd here and, and younger kids are tend, they tend to go to more action sports and baseball, as much as you and I both love it, it is a slow game and it can be slow to watch. It can be boring at times if you're not fully invested in it. But that that's, again, back to the analytics, that's where it comes in. If you have that in the back of your mind, it makes watching a game so much more enjoyable. And, and I, I personally just want to spread that and make that the norm around and just have people keep the fact that numbers exist and there's a lot more to the game. It's not more than people running around a square um, or a diamond, I guess you could call it, whichever way it's tilted. Yeah. But I mean, and I think, yeah. oh, sorry to cut you off there, but I think um, people, a lot of people blame analytics for like making the game more boring because a lot of people look at it like, oh, like when I was a kid in the, like the 1980s, like look at how many stolen bases there were, look how exciting baseball was. And like, now I just watch baseball and it's like all home runs, strikeouts, walks, like there's no action. And they, they blame analytics specifically for that. And I think that I understand the criticism there. But again, it's not analytics' job to make the game entertaining. The, the job of people, it's not analytics' job to do anything. Analytics is just something that exists. The people who use analytics don't really care about how enjoyable the game is. It's how, how much they're going to win. So I think if you're going to blame someone for, for analytics, um, making the game more boring, which I think is a reasonable criticism. I think the game has gotten um, slower in, in the last 10 years. I think the people to blame is, is Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, are, those are the people that are supposed to make the game more in, enjoyable. If you want to um, make the game more fast-paced, then make a rule change that makes it so that um, stealing bases is more more valuable than it is now because these people have realized that stealing bases, sacrifice bunting, those, I guess some people consider exciting plays aren't as valuable or too risky compared to taking a more um, power centered approach with, with strikeouts. Cause that, that is, that is more valuable in terms of runs than playing small ball is. So if you want the game to be more exciting, you, you should be blaming the sport for not making any changes to, to make those kinds of things more valuable. It's not the people that are finding what's most valuable's problem. It's the people who can change what is actually valuable. That's that's who you should be blaming if, if you think the sport has gotten boring. I totally agree. So piggybacking off of that, um, and ha- I'm going to go back to the stolen base example. And I don't know if you've heard this. I'm sure you've come across it, but it's a, a John Smoltz example um, where, where the I'm not average example. Are you familiar with that? The what? I'm not average. It's just like a little story, probably like I'm not sure. a YouTube clip. I'm not sure. So all right, I'll be I'll run through it quick just to okay. give people who who don't who aren't familiar with it and definitely look it up. The guy who tells the stories definitely tells it a lot better than I'm about to. But basically, the synopsis of it is, um, it, it's during spring training or something where minor leaguers and major leaguers are are intertwined. So most likely spring training, and apparently there's an unwritten rule where you, you're not supposed to talk to John Smoltz, and they're they're in the um they're in the the clubhouse or the cafeteria or they're connected of some sort, and one of the younger guys um as John Smoltz was walking by to go to the cafeteria, he pulls him aside and he's like, hey John, can I ask you a question? It's like so obviously yeah, your future Hall of Famer um like 
one of the best to ever do it. Um, shoe in for the Hall of Fame, like no doubt about it. Um, but I, I must ask you a question. Why don't you do a better job of holding runners on? And um, Smoltz looked at him and said, you know, the percentage of a guy that gets to second base and ends up scoring. And obviously the guy that asked the question had no idea. And he's like, I'll tell you, it's 30% and I'm not average. And that's how he ended it. He walked away, he went into the store or he went into the uh, cafeteria. It's, it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, he, like, even back then, like, not, I say back then as in, like, maybe what, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, where these guys were, like, analytics was still in the very primitive stages, like, we didn't have the technology that we have today, but they're still thinking about that, so I I just, I guess I want to elaborate more. Because Smoltz has been one of the, the, like, people most criticized for not actually adapting to to analytics he's i mean i won't say my opinion on it but um he does games i believe for fox and he gets criticized a lot for um like criticizing the, the sport for being boring which people say not saying that this is how i feel but people say um turns people away to the sport because i mean you have the people that are talking about the game on tv criticizing like analytics specifically which is kind of funny that you you bring uh, that's that smoltz is the the centerpiece of the story about so I'm gonna cut you off there. I actually made a mistake. It's great. It's a Greg Maddox story. Okay, that it's, makes not, it's not a John Smoltz story. It's a Greg Maddox story. It makes that makes more sense. It's just the premise of it. Um, yeah. But yeah. But yeah, that is okay. That makes more sense. But yeah, definitely. I think overall that I think that is that is an interesting story. I've never I've never heard that one before. But yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll link to the YouTube teams video. still look at that. I mean, they show those on broadcasts now. I don't know if they showed on all the broadcasts, but some of the ones I watch. The guy gets to second base. They'll show like the the run expectancy matrix. They'll show like how often this exactly. team scores the runner, how often the pitching team allows the runner to score, and then like the league average. Which I think I don't think is harmful to the viewer experience for the people that don't like analytics. Even I I think it does. I think even those people kind of like it. They kind of like one of my teachers is more or my one of my high school teachers was more of an old school baseball fan, but he really liked when they they'd show like what percent of the time they score because it's not like a super hard to understand thing. I think that's what a lot of people are scared of is. Like just not under like these things are too complicated. Like all these computer numbers are like like whatever, all these like regressions and stuff. But I mean that number is very easy to understand and it's very applicable to the situation, which is why I I definitely like that they they use those today and stuff like those are what broadcasts I think need to do to promote analytics. That's not a very complex thing. It doesn't really um on its own say too much, but at the same time I think it enhances the the viewing experience a little bit. Absolutely. And we, we have to bring viewership to baseball. Like, it's it's not lacking. Like there's still millions and hundreds of millions of people that watch, but whatever the stigma is, I am driven to try to change it, do whatever I can. And you seem to be in the same boat. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't even know what the, the problem, I don't know what baseball's main. I think, well, actually I do know. I think ma- baseball's main problem right now is just the lack of action in the game. I think that, I mean, I, even I love baseball and I still feel that um, there, there's not enough action in the game and you can either do that this is i was talking to john shiambi he's a, a broadcaster for espn yep. and he was saying that the the two ways you can you can do that are to either make the game shorter by either like making a radical rule change which shortens like the amount of like innings or whatever or like mm-hmm. cut the mound like the the mound visits just all of those like as much as you can or make it so there's more action in the game by like changing like i don't know some some rules or whatever to like change the ball or move the fences back or something like that like obviously not all those are super practical but things like that because while as an analytics person i would say that yes homers are definitely more valuable than triple i mean even as non-analytics person homers are the most valuable thing you could do when you're batting i think that there need to be in, in in terms of like viewership there need to be more balls put in play while strikeouts are 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 good for pitchers obviously it's the best thing a pitcher can do um the problem is with today's game i think is too many strikeouts there's not enough balls put in play which leads to fewer exciting plays homers are exciting plays they don't happen that much even when they're added smacks like they are have been recently but what we're missing out on are the terrific defensive plays there are still some of them but there are just fewer of them because there are fewer balls put into play um the exciting base running plays you get exciting stolen bases you get all of those are not gone they're just lessened and i think that's the problem i think i've kind of mentioned that earlier 
but I don't think it's necessarily like an analytics issue. I don't think anything there's anything a broadcast can do to increase its viewership. I really think it's a sport. If you think it's a problem, I think it, it is a sport wide problem. I don't know how big of a problem it is. I think I know a lot of people still watch baseball and there's nothing MLB can do to to get rid of its diehard diehard fans. But I think making it so there's more balls put in play and more action, I think, would increase viewership. Or even making it so you don't uh, cut your minor league teams, which they're they're trying to do for some reason right now. Yeah, so that that's interesting. And I, I, I do want to get to all of that, and I think we should. But um, let's start back to the, the rule changes that you mentioned. So I've seen a lot of players on Twitter, like whenever something comes out, a report comes out where Manfred is proposing a rule change, like I personally am very against shortening the game. Um, I've seen seven innings as uh, probably the go-to. If there were a change, it would end up being seven innings. But that just takes out all the little things that people do appreciate and all the true vintage baseball fans appreciate. Like if you go down and knock the game from nine to seven, what are you going to have a fifth inning stretch? Like it, it's just like, not that that's kind of a thing, but like when you're at the game, like, it's a little added value to it, like for families, kids, like getting people into it, getting people engaged in the game, which also I think the game needs a lot more engagement. Um, and on top of that, like when you get engagement, you your stars are bigger. And, and I think that that also starts with the MLB. Um, but yeah, I guess now we can pivot to minor leagues. What is like what, what is your stance on that? Because I have a pretty strong opinion on that. And it, it stems from both feeling for the minor league players who aren't going to get chances um, if, if this whole plan goes through and also from the business side of it for the MLB, like it's compl- like minor leagues team, minor league team struggle. Um, I have a really good friend, Alex Cashman, who works for the Sussex County Miners. Um, and I, I see day in and day out, like just from talking to him, just like how difficult it is to keep a team afloat um, when, when they're that small and, and the viewership isn't that big. So yeah, what what is your opinion on that? Yeah, so I was not lucky enough to grow up in like a a place where there was like a, a local minor league team that I went to. Um, but I know a lot of people did, and a lot of people go to way more minor league games than they go to to major league games. I think that I understand the difficulties of uh, running a minor league team, but at the same time, I think major league baseball needs to do as much as they can to to promote their their minor league teams instead of trying to cut them. Because I think, like you said. Um, people are going to be losing jobs for this. Uh, local communities, a lot of, a lot of like economies are are based around minor league teams for for smaller towns that have these teams. I mean, you're going to be ruining like local economies by getting rid of these teams. So obviously, I don't know the entire business aspect of the game, and and the people in charge do, and they have to weigh that. But at the same time, um, from what I know now, I don't think it would be smart to to cut minor league teams. Yeah, no, completely agreed. Like I, I have, I played um high school baseball I played varsity junior and senior year I played club baseball at Monmouth but so but I have people that I played with in high school that have been drafted um have had chances and and you just see like firsthand from them like when you're ripping that away like baseball as of now is you have the biggest opportunity like there were the most chances to get on a quote-unquote professional depending on where you draw that line um getting on a professional roster um, yes, the road is is so much longer like than I guess the G League to the NBA. Like you got to go from like rookie ball, A ball, double A, triple A, majors, and and the jumps along the line are so drastic. Yo, I lost um, you there for a few seconds. The you again. So the um for for minor leagues, the you you just see firsthand that the the players are, are struggling to get on professional rosters, and now that you're going to cut this even more. Um, it's just like you feel for the guys because that you have you think you have the biggest chance. Um, like say you're one of the bottom tier minor league players. Like chances are you aren't going to make it. Even if you're one of the better players in the minor leagues, the odds are still stacked against you. And now we're just taking chances away from people. But obviously, there's two sides to every coin. Yeah, and I think that the the counter argument to that, I'm not saying I agree with it, is that most of the people who are are playing in the in the lower minor leagues are not going to make the majors and they're not paid a lot of money either. And so I think a lot of people are looking at this and, and seeing minor leaguers rightfully ask for higher pay because they're not getting a living wage. And they're saying, well, the only way this can happen is if we, if we cut minor league teams. 
if we cut some of them and, and give the rest of the money to the the players who are in higher level minor leagues, which I think is the wrong approach because I mean major league teams have I mean billions of do- they're worth billions of dollars, and upper tier players are paid upwards of thirty million dollars a year, rightfully so. I'd rather them get the money than the owners, but at the same time, how hard is it to to give each minor league player ten thousand dollars more a year? I mean that's not that much for an entire organization to pay, but it's for not, some reason. Right, it does make a huge difference because these people, these, another one of the reasons that it's so hard to get up to the major leagues is because from like a low, from like if you're like a thirtieth round pick, and you're you're put into like, for whatever like low minor league you're in, you're unless you're a very fort, unless you're born to like a fortunate like family that has money to support you, you're gonna be have to working, you're gonna have to work another job during the season and then another job during the off season which is really harmful for these players' baseball development because they don't have enough time besides when they're actually like playing baseball. They can't really spend time to get better because they're spending so much time trying to actually make money. So these players are going to have an easier path to the major leagues, an easier path to actually put in the time and put in the work to get better at baseball. If they had just, I mean, whatever whatever the money they're at, I don't know the exact number, the exact dollar value they're asking for, but just having a livable wage, giving them time to actually focus on their dream of like playing baseball in the major leagues, I think is, is very important. I completely agree. I, I feel like you couldn't have said that any better. Um, but I, I do want to go back to how you, bringing action to the game. Cause I feel like it's important to touch on now, the way the game of baseball is moving, it, it's more of a pitcher's, not a, a pitcher, not really a pitcher's dominant game um, because that they are looking to get more action, but the way that, the players are thinking and the coaching staffs are thinking um, with, with all the new analytics with spin rate and, and getting maximum efficiency on the mound, not saying that hitters aren't trying to do the same, but I feel like it's a lot easier to make the jump pitching wise um, to that next level than it is hitting. And, and after all, hitting is the hardest thing to do in sports. Um, completely biased because it, it is hard, but even if it was unbiased, it's still the truth. But because pitchers are aiming to really increase their spin rate and, and metrics like that just to get overall better and get their strikeout numbers up, that's taking away – yes, it's bettering their careers, but it's taking away from the overall action of the game like you were saying before. So it, it's just like a give-or-take kind of relationship. Yeah, I think it's not the pitcher's fault. I mean, you're 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 looking at it and you have all of these numbers, and they're basically told – Okay, if you improve these numbers, this is the easiest way to become a better player, a better pitcher, to get more strikeouts. If you increase your spin rate, you're going to get more strikeouts. And then they learn how to increase their spin rate, and they get more strikeouts. I mean, why would you not do that if you're a pitcher? But then at the same time, these hitters see these guys throwing 102, like these random guys just coming up to the majors and throwing upper 90s with like a, a wicked slider. Like half the guys like that come up are like, average pitchers who have ridiculous stuff and they somehow have like a five ERA because they can't throw a strike, but you're a hitter and you realize that it's impossible to just look at this guy and be like, okay, man, I'm just going to go for some singles here. Like you, you have to take the same opposite approach as, as they're going and just go all or nothing. Cause if you're, it's really hard to hit and it's really hard to hit the stuff that these guys are pitching. So they, the hitters see it as yes, homers are the most valuable thing you could do. So we're just going to try and hit the ball as hard as we can. If we strike out 25% of the time, which is pretty much the league average now, it's okay because we'll make up for the production when we actually make contact with the ball. So it's neither, it's, it is like a, a back and forth game. I, I totally agree. But I think it's, it's just, it's really tough because the pitcher, if you're looking at it from like an incentive point of view, the incentive of a pitcher is to get people out. And the easiest way exactly. to get people out is to strike people out because if you make if the ball is put in play, you have to rely on other people. Not everything that's put in play is a guarantee, but strikeouts are for the most part guaranteed besides the drop third strikeouts. So pitchers, strikeouts are a pitcher's home run essentially, and it's a lot easier for pitchers to get strikeouts than it is for hitters to hit home runs. So they're looking at like, man, I got to strike out as many guys as possible. And then the hitters are looking at it like, dang, it's impossible for me to not strike out this much, like a ton against these guys. So I'm just going to do what I can to, to hit as many homers and hit for as much power as I can. And take some walks too. And I think the problem is in, in baseball, I think if it does have a, a in watchability issue, it's because there are so many, so many plate appearances that are just that just involve four people, the pitcher, the batter, the catcher, and the umpire. 
there are so many plate appearances now that none of the fielders have anything to do with. None of the runners matter for anything. It's just those four people that are in, involved in more and more plate appearances every time, which is why I think a lot of people think the game is boring because while there is there are approximately the same amount of runs scored as there always have been throughout baseball history, it's just those runs are coming in different ways. It's coming from a walk, a walk, and then a three-run homer instead of a double, a single, a ground out that advances the runner, a double. And those still happen. It's just the frequency is just it's 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 um decreasing for those those times where you're setting up rallies and stuff like that. And while again, rallies are less efficient than hitting three run home runs, they're probably more exciting for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. No, I com- I agree with you on that one. So going back to the pitchers, uh, you said how these plays have have four like most of the time have only four people in it, and, and none of the defense is involved whatsoever. But then you go back to the analytics aspect of it. And, and that's where you have all of these statistics like FIP and, and stuff like that. So like, I, I, I don't know. It's just like there, there's downsides to everything. There's upsides to everything. Um, it, it opens the door to more things and, and ways to analyze people. And yeah, I, I just feel like that's the way the game is moving. Yeah. And if you, if you, it, it's, it's really tough because it is a balanced game between making the game exciting and, and winning games. And I, I, I mentioned that earlier, like it's the league's job to make the game exciting. It, the team's job to win as many games as possible because if you say if let's say there are 30 teams in baseball that were all the exact same talent level all of them would go 81 and 81 over a full season but then you gave one of them the level of analytics that we have now and the rest of them had what we had 20 years ago the team that has the analytics it's not just choosing which players to put into which spots but it's also improving your players abilities i mean that team i would venture to say wins 10 more games at least with the same amount of talent just based on Here's how we can improve our guys. So if you're an organization, there's no reason you shouldn't be doing that. The problem is when everyone does that, you have the issue that people aren't as interested in the game. So yeah, like like I've mentioned before, I think it's the league's job to do what they can. And that's why a lot of people criticize Manfred for trying to change the game. And man, I, I really feel bad for Manfred. I, I don't envy the spot he's in because he, a lot of people are criticizing him because the game isn't watchable anymore. But then he tries to, he just, he doesn't even really change much. It's more just he, there's a rumor that he's considering just even thinking about a change and everyone criticizes him. So people are criticizing him because he's not doing anything to make the game better. But then he just throws out an idea that he's probably not going to do that could make the game better. And everyone's like, no, don't do that. It's going to mess with everything. And that's tough to be the commissioner of baseball because baseball is such a historical sport. You mentioned with the seventh inning stretch. Like what would happen if the game was seven innings and it's just a lot of things like that. Like there are so many, it's so hard to make a major change in baseball without people, the diehards getting mad. And so you have to, Manfred has to decide how can I attract as many people to the sport without getting rid of our, our diehard base. And it's a really tough spot to be in because if he doesn't do anything right now, the sport's going to accelerate towards continue accelerating towards more strikeouts, more walks, more home runs. The runs are going to stay the same, but the games are going to get longer and probably less exciting for a lot of people. And people are going to criticize Manfred for not doing anything. But then whenever Manfred says he's like, Oh, I'm thinking about doing something. Everyone is like, even if it's just like limiting, like mound changes, people get mad at him for it, which is, I think a reasonable rule change that should be talked about. But at I the think same time, too. people are like yelling at him for trying. It's just, he can't, there's nothing Manfred's going to do that's going to make him make him a popular commissioner, which is why I kind of feel bad for him in, in a sense. Yeah, and the problem is, and going back to the social media thing, everybody just has the ability to fire off their thought in just by pushing some buttons and, and clicking send. So, and the people that are outspoken, like I said before, it are the people that are, are usually opposing it and... Manfred just kind of has to make that tough decision and, and just go with it and, and just say, listen, this is what's best. We've consulted like we're at the highest level, like all you Twitter heroes, like don't really know what you're talking about kind of thing. And then see the outcome. Like, I personally think that the mound visits, like, did you see any teams this year really run into an issue in a point of a game where they needed a mound visit and didn't have it? Right. Or they needed more time to talk to their pitcher. Like there was never, it was never a thing. Like no one ever uh, noticed that rule. And just stuff like that, a pitch clock that's actually enforced. Like they have a pitch clock, but no one cares about it. If you actually no, enforce not- it, the game is going to get shorter. 
and even if there's less action, there's also less time in the game, which makes the by definition more action packed. And if you if you're if you're talking about the same amount of action as there is now, but the game is 20 minutes shorter on average, people are gonna like that. And as much as a lot of people would say like, oh, there's no need to make changes, three hour baseball games on average for a lot of people aren't watchable. A lot of people use baseball games as like background, like to whatever they're doing, like they're doing homework and they turn on baseball in the background, which is fine. But at the same time, the people that are actually want to watch the game from start to finish, three hours is a lot of time commitment. And a lot of people will point to football as like, oh, football's three hours, but football is way more action packed. A lot of people have used like the statistic, oh, like they're like in terms of plays per minute, like baseball is like faster, but there's way more action in football than there is in, in baseball for the three hours, which is why football doesn't have a problem of how long the games are. No one really cares how long football games are because it doesn't seem like it's going slow, but baseball seems like it's going slow. In baseball, 10 years ago was 30 minutes shorter than it was now, and not much. I mean, there have been really no rule changes that have done that. It's just in the natural evolution of the game. And it's it's kind of funny because, like, like I mentioned earlier, it's just so hard for to make big rule changes. Like, can you believe that, what, 30 years ago, the NBA just added a three-point line? Like, there was, for the entire basketball history, there was just no three-point line. Every shot was worth two points. And then one day, I don't know the exact story of it, they just added a three-point line. And, like, everyone loves the three-point line now. There's nothing exactly. that high of a scale that baseball could do that would be that popular. And that's yeah, just and how it's the game. It's such yeah. a weird spot. Like, I mean, I can't believe that they just added a three-point line and it's just been so normalized. Like, everyone thinks that's like – but for a lot of basketball history, that just was not a thing. But there's nothing baseball could do now that in 20 years everyone's going to be like, wow, this is like I – I could not imagine life without this. At least I don't think. Yeah, I mean, and, and we won't know until it actually happens, but – like it's like you said with football and baseball, like comparing the two, like baseball, yes, there's like when on plays where it only involves those core for the pitcher, the catcher, the batter, and the umpire, there's still what eight other seven other guys on the field doing something meaningful. However, it might not be visibly meaningful. Like that outfielder taking that read step in or that first step to prepare for whichever way, like that first step back drop, because obviously it's easier to go forward than it is to go back. But that one guy, that that one thing that he's doing, which is extremely important to his role, is not put on display as opposed to football, where there's 11 people going one-on-one, like, all right, assuming there's no double teams in the play, which obviously happened, but just for the sake of this, for... 11 guys on each team to be going one-on-one every single play against somebody else you can put a hundred different people in the room and they if they're watching different parts of the game you can have a bunch of different stories about how that play panned out and why that happened baseball is very finite and there's a concrete result at the ends like pitcher goes in the windup throws the ball over is it over the plate yes that's it like yeah and i think um like like you kind of alluded to there i think like John Boy is doing a great job with I love his like, there are a lot of things that he does that like people don't like a lot of things in baseball that people don't pick up that he is terrific at pick, picking up on and, and describing. Mm-hmm. And he to me a lot of people like I got into like an argument with John Boy over Twitter like one time and like a lot of people think like I hate him now, but I don't hate him. He might hate me, whatever. But I think he does great work. And I think that he is really the Tony Romo of, of baseball in terms of like what he does. I mean, he's very smart. Tony Romo obviously played like football in like the NFL and John Boy did not play baseball, but at the same time they're like, I mean, to- everyone loves Tony Romo as a broadcaster because he really knows what's going on in the game. He can like call plays ahead of time. He knows like everything that's going on from every player. And he would focus on in a player, like look what this guy's about to do right here. And then the player does it. And like, everyone's like amazed baseball needs the same thing. Baseball needs, and it's a lot harder for baseball because everyone has, everyone is way different in baseball in terms of what they're doing. But if they can find the right people to to broadcast games like the John Boys of the world and put them in broadcast booths, I think it would actually attract more people to the game. To like, just like, oh look, let, let's highlight the right fielder for this one play. Even if the ball doesn't go to the right fielder, maybe he does this one thing every time that no one notices because no one can watch the right fielder on the broadcast. But they point on the broadcast, which is something something cool like that. And also, it's like they they tried in spring training too with with miking up players. The best idea they've ever had. If if there's if ten years from now, in regular season games, players aren't regularly mic'd up, they're doing something wrong because I mean the clips that they got just from like they did one Mets game I think and they did one Cubs game I don't remember who they were playing but I remember I think they had like a or no it was 
a Braves game actually. I think I remember Fre- those are the two I remember at least. Freeman it was mic'd been up. Braves Cubs. Freeman was mic'd up, and I remember Chris Bryant and Rizzo were mic'd up. Yeah. Two. I mean, obviously there hasn't been baseball this year, but those were by far the two most entertaining spring training games I've ever seen in my entire life. Like Chris Bryant and Rizzo are taught. Like Bryant is like after he hits a like pulls a ball, just follows complaining that he's tired as he runs back to home plate. Like that's just hilarious. And like exactly. there's some yeah. of these guys have personalities that's just so much harder to to like broadcast in baseball. But if you mic those guys up, man, it would be. I mean, it was because Joe Matt because the Cubs were playing the Angels. I remember it. The Cubs were playing the Angels that game, and it, it, Joe Madden's the manager of the Angels now. He used to be the manager of the Cubs. And Chris Bryant and Joe Madden were talking in the middle of the game. I'm pretty sure Chris Bryant was like in the field, and he was talking to Joe Madden, and that was broadcasted on ESPN, which I think is awesome. If you do that, even if you like just do it for the the night game on ESPN, like the Friday or is it Sunday night Sunday night baseball on ESPN, if they just had a player mic'd up just on those games and like every other game is just completely normal, man, baseball would grow so much. Cause those would be clips that would be on house of highlights. Have you ever seen a baseball play on house of highlights before? Never. Never. That would be on house of highlights. If like you, you highlight a center fielder and he's talking you through while he makes a diving catch. Like he's like, you can, you can hear him like, Oh, I got to go in. I got to go in. And then lays out for it and catches it. That's stuff that people want to see. And you're not changing the game at all. Maybe you're changing it a little bit because the players, but it would be a pretty easy adjustment to make the game a lot more entertaining for a lot of people, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so back to the John Boy point. Um, you said like he didn't really play baseball at a high level, and and he's still doing what he's doing. And I mean, you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you didn't really play baseball at a high level, but you're still interested and you have the mind for it. And extremely advanced compared to the average person so my thing is why and and we see it with like espn and big media companies they're all like we see it in football now they're rearranging all of the commentator booths to try to get that perfect combination to boost the ratings but in my opinion i think we need to bring in people like you and john boy who can break down the game because i don't really care what i don't like yes the funny comments here and there happen and you can still have a color guy to chime in and, and go back and forth but I want to see intelligent – I want to hear intelligent conversation about what I'm watching, especially in a sport like baseball. Yeah, and there are a lot of people that are, are good for that. And <clears throat> I think that every every broadcast booth or, like, as many as possible, there are enough retired baseball players that want to be in baseball still that are really smart people that I think should be in, in broadcast booth. Like, Smoltz, I'm not his biggest fan as a broadcaster. I, I think he does push people away. And he doesn't really highlight – I mean, he, he does still have great insights into what pitchers are thinking because he did it for a career for 20 years. But if you can get those guys that are more analytic-friendly that you can teach just the basics of to them and they can explain what's going on, if you can just get one of those guys in the booth along with a, like a, a play-by-play guy. I mean, that's how a lot of teams are. That's how like uh, the Cubs have Len Casper, who I love, and Jim Deshays, who used to be a pitcher. The White Sox have Jason Benetti, who is my favorite broadcaster – in baseball right now he's so yep. smart and then they have steve stone who i believe pitched in base in the majors right let me look him up real quick uh, yeah i'm not steve sure stone yeah he did play in baseball that's what i thought he he was a pitcher for the cubs and the white Sox, and he used to be a broadcaster for the cubs but if you can get one terrific uh, casper and benetti i'm i mean i live in chicago so those are the two guys i watch the most but i think they're two of the best in the in the business and then you pair them up with two got two former baseball players that know what's going on I and mean, that's just a perfect combination you don't even need like a tony romo level player as long as you can just have one guy saying like from when i was a player here's what happened and telling fun stories and stuff like that and then one guy who's like who has a gift for broadcasting like a casper benetti you've got a perfect duo right there and not everything yeah. happened a lot of people have like the old grumpy guys that are like just like it, it pushes people away from the game in my opinion yeah like, they, like i'm a yankee fan so a lot of people can't stand Michael K. I, I don't understand why. I'm a fan. I don't know if you're a fan. But when he's paired with David Cohn and Paul O'Neill, I feel like that trio is perfect because Michael K is Michael K. He does what he does. David Cohn is very analytical, breakdowns, very in-depth with the game and in tune with the game. And Paul O'Neill is kind of like the comic relief. But like David Cohn being there, I think he is the best broadcaster out of the three. But he's not even that high-profile guy. Like, yes, he's a high-profile guy in his own right, but in the terms of the booth, it's Michael K's booth. He's the voice of the Yankees. Yeah, 
I, I, David Cohn actually follows me on Twitter, which is kind of cool. I don't know if I've actually talked That's to awesome. him. But he is, uh, yeah. He, those guys, it's just a perfect combination. You don't want to get it too analytics because that is going to push people away. You don't want to get it. Um, you don't want to stack it with three players because you're not going to have, I mean, those guys are not the best commentators by themselves. They can't talk for three hours straight, just like two or three players in a the booth. They're going to, I mean, it, this is not the best for talking about what's going on in the game. But if you could balance it out with one guy who is a really good talker, one guy who used to play baseball, or at least like a John Boy type guy who really understands the game and knows what's going on and can, can, can explain it to people who may not be picking up on everything. You've got a, just a perfect combination there. Uh, in terms of and then just get like just some good people that that do the broadcast graphics and stuff and, ex- and you can explain to the the people who are actually talking like what they need to say for those kind of things like for the analytics and stuff you don't even need to have either exactly. that, that good at like understanding the numbers and stuff as long as they know what they're reading on screen because they don't even need to know as long as they can kind of express it pretty well yeah because everything is i mean even if it's just somebody behind the scenes pushing something to the announcers so that information does get out like it's that's still something that needs to happen yeah so all right i want to wrap this up but i have one quick question maybe controversial i mean not controversial but there's definitely it's definitely split down the middle regarding the astros punishment i want to get your opinion on it do you think it was too harsh not harsh enough or just right again this is not a situation i i would want to be rob manford in because the only way that they got all this information from the Astros and were able to say that they definitively cheated and have all this evidence is by giving them immunity. And if they didn't give them immunity, we wouldn't be in the spot right now where we know everything that we know. That so it's tough because Manfred really can't do anything right now. There's, there's really, I don't, I don't know what the, the legal uh, ramifications would be if he actually punished them, but for, for argument's sake, he really can't do anything about it. So um, as much as I hate people getting thrown at in baseball games, I mean, that's what's going to happen whenever baseball comes back. These guys are going to get beamed, and that's going to be their punishment. Um, obviously, the people, the, the upper guys like uh, Hinch and Lunau got in trouble for it because they weren't granted immunity for it. But the players, as much as it sucks for people who were who had their teams victimized by the Astros, like I know you're a Yankees fan, so it sucks, and it sucks for the Dodgers fans as well. But it's really hard to punish the players when you told the players that they can tell you whatever they know and they wouldn't get punished for it. It's really just not – and I don't think Manfred was even wrong for granting them immunity because if he didn't, we would know nothing compared to what we know now. So it's – I think that the biggest thing that came out of it is that everyone knows what happened. And even if they're not punished, even if they're no one is suspended on the Astros, everyone will look at the Astros World Series differently. Everyone knows that these players were involved in this thing. So I think that's the biggest punishment is, is just the public perception of it. I don't think that suspending them for 20 games or 81 games or however many, whatever you wanted to do, I don't think that would be even as effective. And it would be way more controversial, I think, than what's going on now. So do you think going forward, like I'll only list the ones that maybe possibly have a shot at this point, but do you think guys like, and and I'll say Justin Verlander and, and Garrett Cole and, Zach Greinke and, and stuff like that. I mean, Greinke wasn't on the 17 team, but or the 18 team, what, whatever the first time, the 17 team. Um, but guys like Jose Altuve and Correa and Bregman and guys that have a promising enough career to be a future Hall of Famer, do you think this is going to be held over their heads similar to the way steroids are being held over um, anybody who was accused, convicted of using it? Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think it really depends on what happens the rest of their careers. Um, if Altuve and Bregman and Correa, if they, if you look at their stats and when they're on the Hall of Fame and you don't see any drop-off from the 2019 season to the 2020 season to the rest of their career, then obviously the, the sign ceiling was not that effective. Like, obviously, like, it worked, but at the same time, it didn't give them that big of an advantage. And it's tough because I don't think it's going to be held over their heads like steroids are. I think that... Um, while some people may take it into account, I think it'll be overlooked if um, if their careers were not like if Altuve falls off this year, but still manages to get like three thousand hits. It's just his performance just drops off quite a bit. Then you might have an issue where like wow, like he was only good when they were stealing signs. But if he's fine, if he if he continues to bat three thirty, if he continues to be in like top ten MVP conversations for the next few years, I don't think there will be that many issues. I think the biggest person who's going to be harmed by this is Carlos Beltran, who 
who was a I think a very fringe Hall of Famer, who was supposedly the guy that started all of this. He was the veteran presence that supposedly was influencing the younger players to do this and like kind of scaring them into um, doing this because they didn't know what else. I mean, that's what I've heard from like the reports and stuff that Beltran was, I mean, that's the reason he didn't get the match job, but, or he got, I don't even know what happened with that, but I think he um, got it. And then they're like, um, or something. or he they're stepped like, down, but well, I don't know, whatever yeah, it was. Point is, yeah. like, he, I was very excited for his hall of fame case. Cause I think he had a really strong one. Um, he had some, some big postseason yeah. moments. He had a really good regular season career. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him because that's the last memory we have of Carlos Beltran's career. Like, obviously, did he retire after 2017? He either did that or he retired. Yeah, that was his year. last year. I think if that was his last year, then the last thing that Carlos Beltran did that people always remember is, is stealing signs illegally. And that's going to be yeah. way different than Altuve and Bregman and Correa, who, who have the chance to prove that this, the cheating – is not going to define their their careers. It was not the reason that they're good players. And I think that Bregman and Correa and Altuve, I really don't think they're going to get that much worse without it. I mean, Bregman and Correa were like top prospects. It's not like they're going to... I mean, it's not like they were... Unless there's like a systematic thing in the Astros organization. There's a reason Bregman was a top prospect. It's not because he had been signed to them his entire life. It's because he's a good baseball player. And I think exactly. that he's still going to continue to be a good baseball player even... Um, if they're not cheating but if he's not then you have issues with like dang this is actually like did something i don't think the pitchers are going to be impacted by this at all i don't think um i don't think anyone's going to hold this over like justin verlander's head even though he has been defending them which is what you would expect a teammate to do but i mean unless there's some news about them cheating i mean he didn't bat at all that season so i don't think so perfect um i i'm in complete agreement with you once again and a lot of the stuff that we touched on today in this episode. Um, so I just want to thank you for coming on um, as our first guest for the Caps on Sports podcast. I think this is a great conversation, st- something that has to get kind of opened up to. And I want a lot more people. And we seem to be on kind of the same mission in some sort of a way um, where we're both in agreement on the fact that baseball or analytics has a place in baseball and sports in general. And we both love the sport and want it to grow and viewership needs to increase and more excitement to the game. But again, thank you. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. And I had a great time. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Uh, most of just stay safe and uh, uh, yeah, just enjoy the rest of your break as much as you can, I guess. Absolutely. So as always, this is the caps on podcast. You guys can follow us on Twitter at Caps on Sports, Instagram at Caps on dot Sports, Facebook at Caps on Sports Betting, and this podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube if you prefer one of the other two that you're not listening on right now. But anyways, as always, we'll leave the cap on for you.